Ladies and gents, welcome to another episode of Optimize Your Body podcast. Today, I've got my good friend uh, on the call or on the line or whatever you want to call it. And basically, I've known him for a long time. And he's also from back home in Wales, goes by the name of Andrew Buck. And uh, just real quick before I introduce him, uh, we obviously met because I used to train your sister, right, bro? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, good. 10 years ago now, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Almost 10 years ago. I trained your sister when I was PT and back in the day. And I remember you'd moved to Australia, right? And I was thinking I was thinking about I was thinking about moving here. Can you remember when I messaged you from from back home in Wales when you were living in Oz? And I was asking yeah, well, you for you advice wanted, on that. Yeah, well, you wanted to move to America at the time, right? That's right. Before that, you moved to America. And then I came back for a little bit and I said, Oh, I'm living in Australia. Um, if USA doesn't work out, think about Australia. And then, yeah, that was it. You started messaging me and went from that's there. That's right. Yeah, yeah, shit. Yeah. Okay, that takes me way back just for the audience because 50% of my audience is in uh, is in America anyway, right? So I was actually – I haven't even told my audience about this, actually. I have to do another podcast on this. I was in the whole – obviously, they know I used to do bodybuilding, but I was in the whole modeling space one night, bro, and I was like, I got a contract in New York. And long story short, try getting the, uh, the visa. I, I tell you what, you think Australia is hard to get into. USA, man, it's crazy. It's crazy to think doing it because the USA was like built on on immigrants, right, and hardworking immigrants, right, from all over the world. And now it's like they don't let any immigrants in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, again, and to compare, Australia is a really hard place to get in, get into. But for you, you couldn't get into America, so that just shows, you know, how tough it is. Hundred percent, man. Hundred percent. But now I remember when I, because uh, what happened was, I remember you came back from Oz. You had like an operation on your foot or something, didn't you? I was living in Wales. UK flew all the way back to like 15,000 miles. What was it like an operation or something, wasn't it? Yeah, basically I broke my foot um, without knowing. So two years later I found out and it was causing me some issues. Before I originally went to Australia, they um, basically said, it's not too bad at the moment. Um, you can kind of leave it. And then a year, sort of a year, 18 months into Australia, it was just, you know, really, really sore and I couldn't walk around properly. But because they held all my records in the UK, I flew back rather than go through the whole process again. Um, flew back and then it looked like I was going to need an operation, but they ended up giving me an, an injection, a uh, steroid injection. But that's where we were training together and we were talking. And then, yeah, you know, I was there for a couple of months and then I flew back to Australia and uh, you followed shortly after. That's right. Is that, is that how you were looking so jacked? Yeah, the steroid injections they were giving you, is it, bro? <laughs> I knew you had something up your sleeve. <laughs> <laughs> no man but uh, i remember you came back and i did a few sessions with you right i did a i was pt i was pt at the time and just i was thinking about this earlier right i used to just like it's the way i used to train i've said this to the audience before i used to just train not in a smart way i would train super super hard one that right and absolutely annihilate each body part when it's not necessary and i remember you were trying to grow your legs right bro and i was just training legs with you wasn't i and we're in your legs yeah. <laughs> remember those sessions yeah. <laughs> yeah, you might be, yeah. So, hey, tell the audience about those sessions, how, how brutal they were. Stop. Like, we'd go from doing, you know, like squats and leg presses to super setting, you know, walking lunges with a chain around my With the chains, that's what I, I used to have you doing what I was doing. <laughs> Literally, for the audience, picture it, right? We're talking two metal chains. They weigh like 32 kilos each, right? I'd have like 200, it's like 65K of metal chains. Around your neck as well. How, com how uncomfortable were those things? <laughs> fucking hell. Oh, I was shocking. And I just sort of kept my mouth quiet and just carried on. Yeah. Love it, man. Love it. Um, but yeah, man, just on that as well, before before we, you know, I'm going to tell the audience a bit, you know, you can tell the audience a bit more about yourself and stuff like that, just as we go into the conversation, really. Um, but I was just curious to know if you can share with us, like your experience with Australia and stuff, because I know you lived here for a while. And just tell us a bit more, firstly, bro. Rather than like, you know, the usual stuff, what is it you do and all that kind of stuff I ask everyone. Uh, tell us a bit more about that experience, bro, about that adventure of moving to Australia, meeting your, your missus now, who you're looking to build a future with, uh, family and everything else. And then obviously moving over to Ireland. Talk us through that, bro, and, and the difference in lifestyle and everything that's happened for you over the last few years. Yeah, so the way it started is I was working in a casino in Cardiff and three of my friends who all worked in the casino had planned this big trip to Thailand, six weeks in Thailand and Australia for a year, right? Um, and basically, long story short, last minute, I jumped on with them and that was it. I was gone, gone to Thailand, six weeks, then over to Australia. And um, that was it. Like we were over there for a year, a year turned into two years, 
turned into eight years nearly. Um, so what originally I went over with, there was five of us all together. So myself and four lads, a year and a half, two years in, I met my partner, Amy, Amy's from Ireland. Um, we moved in together, spent the next sort of four or five years living over there together. Fast forward to today, we're now living in Ireland where she was from originally. Um, and yeah, the lifestyle change is really big. But over in Australia, it's, it is what everyone kind of pictures it. The, the weather's amazing most of the time. The lifestyle's brilliant. Um, but you have to remember that you're not, for the majority of people, you're not living that lifestyle day to day. You're not always sat on the beach all day. You do still have to work, right? So the lifestyle is a lot better overall. Um, and, and they also have their fair share of bad weather. Like I remember the year I left, geez, it rained from January to July, pretty much every single day, which is throughout their summer, right? So, you know, you have to remember it. You're living there. It's not just a holiday. And I fell into the trap of basically making it a holiday for the first two years, every single day, right? We were out drinking pretty much every day. We all had jobs, but we just abused abused Australia for what it was, right? We were drinking down the harbour, everything, like, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, whenever we had a time off, we were going out, we were going to festivals, partying, and we... I quickly slipped into a lifestyle where I was just, you know, I was young though, 25, 26. So, you know, I kind of quickly fell into a lifestyle where I look back now and I was like, Jesus, you know, I was abusing my body, basically abusing it. Um, but yeah, fast forward to now, I'm settled down with my partner. Now we've been together six years living in Dublin. Um, and my priorities have definitely changed. And I look back and I don't regret anything to an extent, you know, you have to enjoy those times, but, uh, my lifestyle's completely changed now. How old are you now? 32. 32 now. So, yeah, man, just what you were saying then, I was having some, like, flashbacks because I remember when I got here 2017, right? You're the first person, literally, the next the day after I got here, I linked up with you, right? Because I didn't really know many of the people here. I knew a few other people. And I remember, like, I was just overcoming – well, I was, you know, still drinking and stuff like that, but I, I started overcoming, like, all the destructive habits and behaviors that I had with party and alcohol – and all that kind of stuff by the time I got to Oz when I was like 29. And I remember though, I got so both of us, right? Because we were getting excited. I remember I got sucked into that lifestyle when I got here. We were going out on some benders when we just like binge drinking and shit. And I got sucked into it. And I remember it was it was like a good because when you it's weird when you move to the other side of the world, isn't it? Just for anyone else, you move to the other side of the world literally, and you're trying to fit in, right? And it's like everyone here drinks, right? It's like the same, it's the same as the UK, isn't it? Really? Like if 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 anything, it's, it's kind of worse in a sense, right? Because people drink in the daytimes and stuff like that, right? So I got sucked yeah. into that lifestyle and we were going out on some like benders and stuff. And I remember, I think I had like, after like six months of being here, I was just like, I remember just looking at myself in the mirror and going, this has got to change, man. I'm getting sucked back into the old me, if anything worse. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The whole point was to get away from that. But so let's let's talk on that, bro. In terms of the lifestyle and, you know, just, just tell us a bit more first, man, like how you got into fitness. I know you're a coach yourself. Um, how you got into fitness and how you kind of fell in love and, and became passionate about kind of helping other people coaching and stuff. Yeah. So when I was about 15 or I think I was about 15 or 16, I was having some back issues. Right. And I think back to this now and it kind of shocked me the the way I got kind of treated. So I had some back issues, 15, 16 year old kid went to the doctor and I'll never forget. He basically said, when you're older, indirectly said you're going to be fucked um he said the way you're back and like your alignment is you're, you're not going to be doing too great when you're older and that was it left me walked out of the doctors so i was a 15 16 year old kid thinking like what's going to happen when i'm 30 you know i'm like he just told me i'm going to be yeah like basically in bits with my back um and that was it i was left to go my own way and uh all he said at the time was you can try and strengthen it so that was the only thing he said so for me then, I went straight to the gym. Um, my godmother's son was a personal trainer at the time, and in your gym actually, um, that you used to train in. And he showed me a back workout because in my head, I was like, I've got to strengthen my back. And from that point then was where I fell in love with training because for the first like three, four months, the only work I did every single day was back. <laughs> like So I'd go in every single day, do the same exercises, um as a 16 year old kid and just trained back but that was where the journey started um fell in love with it from there on in and I was tall and skinny as well so I also had these kind of like body issues where you know I wanted to get a little bit bigger um few comments in like school and stuff like that um so that definitely fell into it as well 
Let's talk on that, bro. Actually, I'm, it's funny you said that because yesterday uh, I did this client results roundtable, like with clients, where I had just like a few seasoned clients come on, sharing their experience, the results they had, the struggles they've had, and everything else. And I think the new client that I signed up, shout out to Natasha, she was very much surprised that guys had the same issues because my client Ben came on. He was talking about the great results he's had, but then he was also talking about the battle that he still has. He almost has like every four weeks, like clockwork. He has like a basically like a wobble or how, what do you want to call it? Like a he just like he just hits hits a wall. He takes his progress photos right, and he's like you know he, the negative self talk kicks in. Like he said, you know this is what was happening in his head. He was calling him. He was like a fat piece of shit, right? That's what was happening. His inner critic was calling him a fat piece of shit, right? And guys get these issues too, right? Because when you said that, then that was the same as me. I was a very skinny teenager. And that was kind of one of the reasons that drove me to get into it, right? Because then you're skinny, you're 15, 16 or whatever. You start lifting weights. Your testosterone levels are naturally through the roof. And then you start building muscle. Then you're like, oh, wow, okay. Now I'm building muscle. I'm looking better. Getting a little bit more attention from the opposite sex, right? And you start feeling uh, much better about yourself. But um, that is something that guys don't talk about often, right? Bros like the body image stuff. We both overcome that now. But obviously, I'm not going to go too much into my story because I've talked about many a times, but you know, I was a skinny teenager. I trained, to be honest, bro, my main driver for training was like rugby. I was playing rugby. I wanted to be better on the pitch and I just enjoyed it. And I just like started seeing results straight away because I was 16, 17, right? High, high testosterone levels naturally. But um, it wasn't really the main driver insecurities, to be honest, but I was still aware that, you know, I had like skinny legs and in school, I was just very kind of average. You know what I'm saying? Just a tall, skinny kid. Like my thing in school was like the funny kid. You know what I'm saying? cracking jokes and being a bit of a nuisance to get attention. So then when I started getting attention because of my physique and stuff like that, um, I, I loved it. So you had, what I'm trying to say is you kind of had, um, you were driven a bit by that as well then, right, bro? Because you were kind of skinny as a youngster. Yeah, 100%. Like I went, I was average height. And then I got to the stage of being, I think I was again, yeah, around 16. And I shot up. So I quickly became one of the tallest. And what coincided with that was being skinny because I just, obviously didn't put on any, any muscle so yeah i went from like this like average kind of could hide behind the crowd to six foot well now i'm six foot four you know so but at the time i was probably around six two uh but skinny like there was nothing to me so yeah i quickly kind of once that training started and i quickly saw a little bit of development in the muscles especially in my pack um that just like drove me to want to change and keep going because you see this little change and you stick with it and the consistency then just turns your physique it transforms you right 100 driver yeah i love it man love it but uh yeah just for the audience you know guys have you had any just curious me whilst we're on that topic have you had any issues in terms of how you feel about your body like since you've been in shape right because i know you've been in shape for a long time now like in your 20s and stuff like that I know, obviously, I remember you saying before, like, you know, you said, when I was coming to watch, you're like, you're not fucking standing next to me on the beach. <laughs> I remember you saying that. I'm leaving my shit on on the beach when you come over here. <laughs> <laughs> well, you always face the right lighting as well, like, you know. So Exactly, mate. Um, no, 100%. Like, and I think we always judge ourselves quite, like, we would never talk to our friends or our family the way we talk to ourselves, right? And we're sometimes a little bit harsh on ourselves and especially people who, you know, who train and go to the gym, we're in the top 5% of the world. We just don't think that because we're, we train in gyms where people are in shape. But the second you go outside a gym, you go on holiday, you go to a beach, you quickly realize that the majority of people aren't in shape, right? So you always tend to stand out from the crowd if you're in a little bit of shape, right? But yeah, you always, for me, there was always, you know, like, even though I, I was in good shape and I, I'm still, I still am in good shape, but, um, these negative thoughts like do come in every now and again of like, you know, I could be a little bit leaner. I could be a bit bigger. I want my legs to be a bit bigger. I wish my shoulders would grow a little bit more. Like, you know, so like we all have these kind of thoughts that come in, but for someone looking in from the outside in, they'd be like, what are you on about? You're in good shape. Like, you know, you just like, there's people out there who are in much worse condition than you um, get over it basically. So yeah, we all have, I guess for me, there are at times these sort of like thoughts that creep in where I'm like, yeah, I need to work on this, work on this. I wish I was a little bit leaner, whatever it is. But at the end of the day, I'm pretty happy with the way I look now as well. So I'm definitely more comfortable as I've gotten a little bit older. Yeah, man. And you said something then about the reality of life, right? Most people are out of shape. Let's just be honest. And I always say this, but it's the reality. People are getting fatter and sicker, right? Um, 
that's just the day and age we live in, right? And when you look at social media, for example, a lot of, well, in fact, all of it, if you think about it, if the research shows this anyway, pretty much all of the comparisons we do are done like on a subconscious level as well. So that's why you got to be mindful of like social media, for example, like what you were saying, if you're following loads of like fitness models or you're following like whatever you want to call them, fitness influencers, people who are in great shape and you go on your feed and you're looking through that, bro, I don't see that in Fitness First Platinum here, right? The Fitness First Platinum for the audience, Sydney, I live across the road for it in Bondi. It's like the best shapes you're going to get in pretty much probably the whole of Australia, right? In terms of the, the level of physique you get in there, right? Um, and even there, it's like, yeah, most people are in shape. But in comparison to if I was scrolling on social media and seeing everyone's highlight reel and all the filters and everything, even that is not on the level. You see what I mean? So people, they they compare themselves to stuff which isn't reality as well, right, bro? And what you said then was bang on about like, would you say that to someone that you cared about? That's what I said to Ben, the same client. I said his, his wife, Megan, I said, would you say fat piece of shit to Megan? That's what I said to him. He was like, not in a million years. I said, exactly. What about your daughter and your son? Would you speak like that? to them and he's like no hell no mate he said and he kind of had a moment where he was like wow that's true actually but even so just for the audience listening i struggle with this right so like when i'm sometimes we get negative self-talk it's not going to be my body anymore thankfully but it might be other stuff the inner critic always pops up and then the way i'm talking to myself in the moment is so hard right bro they just step back and go would i say this to my mom or someone like that it's it's you've got to practice it right like the mindset part Hundred percent, but you know, it's easier said than done, right? Like whether 100%. it's whether it's the way you look or whether it's you know the way you act, whether you have this, you know, um, you want to act a certain way to people, and sometimes like like I've had this where like I want to perceive myself as a certain type of person. I want to be polite. I want to be kind, and sometimes in certain situations, whether like it could be stress that gets in the way, maybe the way you acted doesn't align with that. So like. You're always constantly comparing yourself to like whatever your perception might be of yourself, right? Whether like you said, it is a body or it could be like a mentality or the way you want to hold yourself, like all these different things. But it's, an, it's you know, we're never going to be perfect. And the mentality is, and the mindset is, you know, you'll always be working on it, right? It's so hard to get your head around um, uh, because the reality is we can't just block out negative thoughts as much as we like to think so. They're always going to come in, but it's how we act upon those thoughts, right? Mm, and that's why it's so important, right? To have like-minded people around you, right? Remember, bro, uh, I won't forget this. Like what I've said to the audience before, in my early 20s, I struggled with depression. I had some issues mentally, and thankfully, I got through it without medication or anything like that. And that's not to talk down on anyone who takes medication. It's just thankfully, I didn't do it, and I was I managed to figure it out. Um, but I remember it was probably like two years ago or something, wasn't it, right? We got together. And uh, I was like, oh, how are you doing, bro? And you were like, yeah, yeah, I'm good, man. Just a little bit anxious. Oh, what are you anxious about? Oh, nothing, man. I just got this thing I'm dealing with. You know what I mean? You said, oh, I just got some stuff going on mentally. And then we had a chat about, right? And you were like, oh, certain thoughts you were getting. You were talking about negative thoughts and stuff like that. Uh, and you you told me about the thoughts and stuff, right? And I was like, yeah, I used to get exactly the same thing, bro. That's what I used to struggle with, like the same kind of thought patterns. And how much of a game changer was that for you just to speak man to man to someone because you think in your head you're going crazy, right? Sometimes when you're when you're having, you know, you might be having certain thoughts or mental health issues. You know what I mean? So yeah, for a little bit of context, um, for anyone who's listening, I was going through a stage where I literally thought I was going insane. Um, I was having these thoughts going through my head, which I just could not get rid of. Um, and what I found out and what you had also told me was it is a form of anxiety, but it's a class of like intrusive thoughts, right? So it's these thoughts that come in and you just can't get rid of them and they stick in your head. And the easiest way to describe them is, is if I said to you, don't think of a pink elephant, the first thing that's going to pop into your head is a pink elephant, right? And it's kind of like that. The more you try and think of getting rid of these thoughts, the more they just eat at you. And at the time when we met up, I think we were going for food or coffee or something. And yeah, I said like, oh, I'm just going through a bit of anxiety. And when I got into sort of the context of them, you were like, well, this happened to me before. But that was the, I thought I was in a world by myself there at that point. I don't even think I told my partner because my partner, um, for anyone who's listening, works in mental health, right? So I was like, how am I going to be able to tell her this? I literally thought I was going insane. Um, and when I spoke to you then, you were the only person and the only like time I've ever heard of anyone else going through this before you weren't going through it through it at the time but you had previously right and 
just from like within that conversation of an hour, the weight that came off my shoulders was like, oh, I, was just, I can't even put words into it. It was just insane. And I think sometimes in society, there's obviously, I think in this day and age, it's not as bad, but mental health, and especially with men, it's this taboo subject where people don't want to talk about it. But the reality is, it makes a world of difference if you can just get something off your chest. And sometimes listening to your own voice and talking to somebody, it gives you a perspective where like, oh, okay, maybe it's not as bad as I'm perceiving it to be, right? And yeah, so speaking to that day, uh, it made a world of difference. It still wasn't, you know, that wasn't the get out of jail free card by any means. Um, it still went on for a long time. You know, I think this period went on for like a year, 18 months. Still happens now a little bit, but I'm, I've worked out a better relationship with it. Um, but yeah, just at the time, that that weight that came up my shoulders from just speaking to you for an hour at dinner or whatever, we went to get a coffee or something like that. It just, it made a world of difference. And I think you remember, like at the start, I was real anxious and I, I, like, you know, I, I wasn't the same person that you knew. And by the end of it, I was laughing. I was chatty again. So yeah, that was the difference. 100% man. I could see you were in your own head a bit and yeah that's exactly what happened to me as well in my early 20s with like intrusive thoughts and back then is what well, now you said that I was thinking I'm 36 now I was like 23 back then so back then it was actually no one was talking about that stuff now it's like more mainstream and it's still tough it's still a lot of stigma attached to it but I'm thankful that I had my mum I could I could speak to my mum about these things you know what I mean and also I kind of met this circle of friends who a lot of them I'm still friends with now who just brought my spirit. They, I didn't even talk about it to them, to be honest. I didn't tell any of them, like, at all. Like, But they kind of just being around good people. So I think all this to say, right, bro, it's like for anyone listening, it doesn't have to be any, like, whatever it is, intrusive thoughts, anxiety, loneliness, whatever it is, one conversation could be an absolute game changer. So, and the funny thing is, the more, most of the time, again, it's your girlfriend that's a mental health expert, right? Not us. But, but basically, you know, you'd be surprised at what one conversation could do. If you could reach out to someone, have a chat. And a lot of the times when you feel like you don't want to do it, that's when you need to. You know, for example, like sometimes you'll get to a weekend, you might have had a busy week at work, you haven't had much human interactions, and you just want to fucking lie down on the couch. A lot of the times, that's when you want to be getting out and socializing, right? And getting nourished by being around good people and uh, and just and just connecting with people. So yeah, I'm glad we touched on that, bro. But just to kind of shift gears, bro, I want to go back into, you know, what you kind of specialize in. Because it's going to be really, really helpful for the audience um, in terms of, you mentioned about your back injury and everything else. Right? I know you've had a few injuries over the years. I know, obviously, your business, Strength Through Movement, you focus on uh, a lot of mobility and strength stuff and uh, essentially things which are really effective for people when it comes to getting in shape and uh, having longevity and healthy joints at the same time. But what um, have you learned about the first of all the injuries you you've had? So I know you've had quite a few of them, and how have you how have you kind of overcome those things, and how do you stay on top of it now, man? Yeah, so I had a back injury. Uh, this has gone back maybe five years ago. Um, I was working in, on a job and uh, just doing a little bit of construction on the side, and basically, um, someone hadn't done some their job properly essentially and i slipped and i slipped two discs so for the next two three years um there was times where i couldn't get out of bed i couldn't even go for a walk without my back aching after like 20 minutes all this all this like stuff that comes with a bad back right spasms all that and i'd been to physios and all sorts and nothing was really working and that's where i kind of dove into like understanding the body and trying to learn i was like kind of like fuck this i need to fix this right um so i started trying to learn how the body moves how it should move how it aligns like all this stuff and specifically to do a lower backs at the time um and this doesn't apply for everyone of course everyone is different but for me i realized that if i can strengthen certain areas and align my lower back better it could fix it and that's what happened i went down this road of like kind of opening up my hips strengthen my glutes uh, my core was really weak believe it or not um and trying to fix all those issues lengthen my hamstrings as well over time my back just got better and like fast forward to now my back's never felt better um super strong i can pretty much do whatever i want um but that's what got me down the road of like kind of learning how the body moves more um i still love the strength training side of training and coaching but combining those together now because the way i see it the better you move the better you live right so and what is mobility because i think like the actual definition is like the ability to move or 
move freely and easily or whatever it is. But for me, it's having strength through a range or strength through length, right? Um, because you can be as flexible as you like, but if you don't have any strength through that range, you've still got a real high probability of getting injured. Um, and that can lead to all sorts of implications, right? Um, and if we don't have strength in that end range, for example, then, you know, instability of a joint, see a ridge all the time, uh, poor control over movement, poor posture, anything, um, too tight, too erratic, whatever that is. Um, and often, like, when people say, like, you know, you're into movement and mobility, it has this stigma around it. Like, I train my clients to move well and get strong. So they're not just standing there doing stretches and stuff, right? It's it's mobility, like it, it's it's combined. So there's a stigma around like mobility and movement. Uh, it's just stretching and people can't be out stretching, let's be honest, because they'd rather go to the gym and lift weights for the hour they're there. And they wouldn't want to spend 10 or 20 minutes at the start doing stretching. That's kind of the stigma. But what a lot of people don't realize is you can literally do a barbell back squat as a mobility exercise if you want to. Because you're building strength up at like a certain range, just providing you go as deep as possible. Um, so yeah, like mobility and stuff, it sometimes gets this bad rap because people think it's just stretching. But really, you know, the way I see it is you can be as strong as you like, especially as you get older. You could have, you know, in your 60s, 70s, you could be real strong, have a six pack, all this. But if you can't bend down and pick something up when you drop it, your quality of life quickly gets diminished, right? So being able to move properly, reach up overhead, whatever it is, bend down, pick something up without, without having to put your knee, uh, hand on your knee, um, your quality of life gets improved. And for the majority of people now in this day and age, they're super tight, super restricted. You would have seen this with your clients and everyone else in the gym. They can't even do functional exercises, right? So that's how I started. And that's kind of what got me into the movement side more of uh, coaching. Yeah, 100%, man. So many people... Pretty much everyone has muscular imbalancements, right, and discrepancies. And obviously, the day and age we live in, right, is just kind of cementing that in. You know, we're sat down for more than ever. So it's always kind of like similar with most people. Obviously, there's some variance. But, you know, when you look at people's posture, for example, most of them have got like that protruded head forward, right? Just for the audience, you know, the head's protruding forward. It's not neutral. The shoulders are rounded. And then you could work it. And then we haven't even got down to the lower half, right? The hip complex, you know, whenever you're sat down, just to simplify it, whenever you sat down, obviously those hip flexors tighten up, the glutes switch off. So the majority of people have got really overactive, you know, hip flexors and hip complex, lack of that kind of like external rotation of the hip, right? Especially. And they've got really underactive glutes. And then you get, and you know, when you get down to the ankles, that's another, that's another conversation, right? But um, it is actually quite simple, bro, when it comes to people being able to improve. It's hard. I don't think you said before, right? It's, it's not, it's not easy. It's simple. Um, but it's also really, really challenging because you've got to do constant work. But what is it with your clients? Like, what are the common, just for the audience and stuff? Because, you know, most people, I always say like eight out of nine, 10 people, sorry, eight eight to nine out of 10 people, they can't even squat. You know, they can't squat properly with a bar on their back. You know, they're just going to get too much breakdown. Uh, it's way too technical because of all those discrepancies I just mentioned. Um, what would you say with your clients are the common issues that you see in terms of poor movement patterns, posture and stuff like that. And what kind of comes to mind in terms of, uh, I know it's kind of hard to talk about. I'll send people over to your page anyway, after this, uh, but what comes to mind in terms of simple movements that you get them to do to work on, to actually improve any of these common issues. Yeah. So you just touched upon it there without a shadow of a doubt. It is hips, right? Because we sit down, like, especially in this day and age, there's more remote working, working in offices, People get super tight with the hips. Um, so when we sit down, for those of you who are listening, we're in hip flexion, right? Well, the way our hip is situated, our legs come out and they go down. So we sit like this all day. Like you said, the glutes switch off. So when we go to stand back up, we need hip extension, right? And the majority of people don't have that. They don't have enough range through extension. So they need to stand up straight. And the way they stand up straight, because they don't have extension to the front of the hip, they arch the lower back which then they load, they, they do weights, and they've got this arch, which is an anterior pelvic tilt, and then they load that, and then all of a sudden their back's hurting, right? Straight away, so common. It's literally the most common thing I see in the gym. Um, their glutes don't fire at all. So basically trying to open up their hips is almost the first thing I go, I can almost guarantee like 95% of my clients, their hips are tight, right? Um, and even even will notice it you know we might be sitting down for an hour or so now when we go to stand back up we might be like ah oh, you know front of my hip the hip flex is 
feels a bit tight, you know. Um, but for the majority of people, they're so unaware of that that they just carry on through life like this. And uh, you do a quick test with their hips and they can't even do like what's what's called a couch stretch where they put their leg behind them, even against the wall, but even on a bench to make it easier. Um, they can't even get their knee to flex that much because their hips so tight, right? So yeah, categorically like hips and it's just from our, our lifestyle these days, but hips always the tightest. Um, and then you get into other predicaments and like people can't reach their arms overhead properly. Um, but yeah, they do overhead press, right? So you see like a lot of people doing like a barbell, a military press or an overhead press, but they can't get their shoulders into the right position. So they end up pressing forward. And then that leads to complications in itself. Like So definitely hips, but, you know, shoulders end up, end up being super tight. Posture gets affected like from hips. It, it, I could just go on and on because it all links together, right? But um, yeah, like yeah, having no, hips then. Yeah, yeah, no, no, God, so sorry to interrupt, but no, just what you said then was was bang on, right? It's like, and if you don't, if you don't, you know, use it, you lose it, right? Like the overhead press, you don't need load, you don't need any external resistance. In other words, weight to add to that, you just need to practice on doing that movement first and foremost, right? And I think we need to talk about this more, bro, because as you're talking, I'm like, I'm thinking in my head, like, why are people, you can't do enough mobility, like even me and you. We couldn't do enough. If we did it every day for the rest of our life, we'd get really, really good at it and we'd be good, but there'd always be room for improvement, right? Because with mobility, just for the audience, just like you say, just to give them an example, like think of like a, a, a bodybuilder, right? Massive, roided out bodybuilder, right? Never does any mobility or stretching, right? You know, massive, loads of muscle on him. Obviously, he's going to have poor mobility, yeah? Because a lot of his muscles are overactive. He's got all these you know, discrepancies. He's got like, you know, really tight certain muscles overactive and then loads of other muscles are underactive. So he's really imbalanced, right? Then you've got like a gymnast, for example, right? How many times, well, I've coached in the past and it's like, it's really challenging um, when you've got people who've been really flexible or done gymnastics, like women, especially from a young age or whatever. And they've got really, like you said earlier, they've got really good flexibility, but they don't own the range of motion. They don't have strength in the range of motion. So they've also got poor mobility. You see what I mean? So there's like two extreme ends of the spectrum. And because of the lifestyle we live in, we're constantly cemented in those patterns, right? So like I've got this stand-up desk, actually. I'm only sitting, I trained legs this morning, bro, and I was standing up at my desk all day. I thought I can't be standing up for any longer. So I actually sat down now. But that's one of the reasons I stand up and just like go on regular walks and stuff as well. Um, but the funny thing is, even with me, bro, it's like, I don't know about you, but I do the bare minimum. Like, it's stupid. I always fall into the trap. I do the bare minimum because I can get away with it because I've done so much over the years just before training. I, I normally do it. Um, because I can get away with it, I just do minimal. And then occasionally, yeah. then I'll start, oh, here comes that twinge in my neck again. Oh, I better get back on top of it again. But it should be prevention over cure, shouldn't it, bro? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but to be honest, like, you've probably earned that right. Okay, we can all do more mobility regardless, but you've probably earned that right because you've done it for years. You're in a position where you move really well anyway, okay? So you don't make necessarily need to do it as much as the average person. But what a lot of people sort of give up on, and that I find is, like, they don't do it because unless you're there coaching them face-to-face -to, -face to say, do this, do this, if you lead them to their own accord to do mobility, a lot of the time they don't because they find it uncomfortable, right? But there's a reason they find it uncomfortable usually because they're tired of shit and they've neglected their mobility for so long. So even just getting into any sort of stretch is super hard for them, right? But I'll also let everyone in on a secret who, who listens to this, is mobility and stretching never gets more comfortable, right? It always sucks. You just get more range and you build up a tolerance and resilience from like basically being a little bitch. You've just got to get on with it, right? <laughs> because if you're not finding it comfortable, then you're not trying hard enough and you're not in enough range. Um and that torture and like that hardship that, that you put yourself through, that will pay dividends as you get older, I promise you, because that goes back to the quality of life thing. You know, the more mobile you are as you get older and strong, like your quality of life will just get better and better or not worse, let's say. Love it, bro. And what I think people underestimate as well, this is what I say to my clients, I say, a lot. Like, it's not ideal. It's not optimal. Like if you want to be the most mobile person in the world, right? But my clients want to get results and they want to be doing, you know, lifting weights and doing this stuff till the day they die, right? Like all of us do. And all of us should be doing. There's no reason why you shouldn't be doing that if you put the work in. But like just doing mobility and priming movements before you lift, providing, you know, your technique is good when you're lifting, of course, right? And you're not being stupid and you're working on those uh, imbalancements. Obviously, it always depends on what level the individual's at. But just doing that before you lift, right, bro? If you just dedicate it to like 15 minutes of like 10 to 20 minutes of like purposeful, intentional mobility training, opening your hips up, right? 
maybe doing lower back rotational mobility, activating your core muscles and doing some stuff for the uh, shoulder complex, right? And posture. Um, that is all I've done over the years, basically, bro. I've done very little static stretching and it's, it's worked wonders, you know? Yeah. And it's but like you just nailed it there. You're doing something specifically that's going to carry over into the session that you're about to do. Okay. Yes. That's right. So I did a post where um, basically talking about what you just said there, do a warm up the specifics of the session you're about to do. Because the problem is, you see it all the time in gyms. People will go on a running machine at the start of the session, or they'll go on a bike, okay? And then they'll go and do back squats. That's it. That's their warm-up. Their warm-up was sitting on a bike or, or running on a treadmill. So not only have they made their legs really tired for a big compound exercise that they're going to do where they need most of their energy, it's not specific to what they're going to do. They haven't warmed their hips up. They've really, they haven't, they haven't like, you know, warmed their thoracic spine up to get into a barbell back squat, like all these different factors so their their warm up is just like to be honest. Oh, oh bro, I would I would go even further. I would argue that it's even worse, right? If they're gonna run, yeah. if they're gonna run on the treadmill, I know a lot of people in the audience are listening. Fucking hell, I do this. <laughs> I gotta sort my sort myself out. But uh, if you run on the treadmill, because running is like terrible for the body. Let's just say how it is, right? Fine, if you run and you do it for your health and everything else, great. Uh, crack on. But it's te- there's no way of denying it's absolutely horrendous uh, for the body for longevity. Because when you're running, essentially you're activating all the the posterior chain is switched off, right? Think about all the backside of the body, which is already underactive for, as you said, 95% of people uh, is switched off. So your glutes are switched off as well. And then you're kind of working all of those muscles, which are already overactive, right? Your hip flexors are tightening up, your quads, all those kind of things, calves. And then not to mention, like how many people do you know, bro, that when they run, they run and treat it like a skill and they hire a running coach to run with good foot. Come on. No one does people run to get tired and they do long distance. Right. So, or even, even if not, the people run for a good workout, right. To push themselves. And then they get the rounded shoulders and the tech, like the running is a skill within itself. Right, bro. So it's like, I would argue it actually makes it worse today. Cause you're working all the, all the wrong muscles really, aren't you? Before you, before you uh, squat. Yeah. hundred percent. And like, if I could give a piece of advice to anyone who is listening, who, is unsure of how to warm up because this used to be me before I, I learned about how the body moves and, and got into movement. My warm up would be I'd go into a gym, and this is back when I used to like the bro splits on a Monday. I'd go into a bench press, empty bar, 10 reps. This is my first, like, you know, I'm cold. I'm literally coming in from the gym, 10 reps on the bar, two plates either side, 60 kilos, 10 reps. That was it. That was my warm up done. I'm into my working set, you know, like so. It's shocking, like, uh, but it's unawareness as well. Like, if you don't know that, like, or what a specific warm should be, or like how to prime your muscles ready for a session, then you know it's just lack of knowledge, and not everyone's going to know. But if I could give one piece of advice, it is warm up specifically for whatever you're going to do in that session. So, if your big compound lift first or whatever, however you you work your sessions is a squat, then you know start warming up the hips, the glutes, the core, like you know open up the thoracic spine a little bit. If it's overhead pressing, warm up the shoulders, get them into full range before you go into an overhead press, like, you know, posterior chain even, just to make sure you can support yourself in that position. Try and do something that's specific to whatever session you're going to do. You know, there's no point going to go and warm up your legs if you're going to do like an upper body workout, right? So yeah, that would be my advice to anyone who's listening if they're unsure of what to do before a session. Awesome, bro. So what I'll do is I'll add, uh, obviously I'm going to add your stuff into the show notes so you can see some of the stuff Andrew's talking about on his page. And also I was going to say, I'll add my, on my YouTube channel anyway is in the show notes. And I've got, if you just type in like, or if you just go to YouTube and type in Martin Silver Mobility, I've got some routines covering all the stuff Andrew was talking about there. So, mate, what I'd like to kind of transition into now is obviously all the people that you you coach and stuff like that and we coach in terms of, you know, what the biggest kind of challenges are that you see people face. Because let's be honest, people listening back to this and, you know, 80, 90% of people, they want to improve the way their body looks, right? They want to improve their you know, metabolic health, if you want to use fancy words in terms of getting leaner, uh, getting stronger, living longer, and just looking better, right? And, you know, what I see a lot of, right, if we just, if we're talking to like the average person, and I was just thinking when you were saying that then, bro, I was thinking like, it's tough, right? Because it's a fine dance between, you know, giving someone like even my clients, right? The number one thing, and I know you do this as well, because you're a good coach. What I look at, as I'm designing a program, for example, I'm looking at like, what yeah no don't get me wrong some of my clients are savages and they're going to do anything anything i give them right but you know for the most part i'm thinking 
okay, like what is this person going to stick to? Because optimal, right? An optimal program, the best program in the world, if it's not done consistently, it's just going to be ineffective, right? So it's it's a find that. And I was thinking when you said mobility, then I was thinking, yeah, there's some clients where I minimize. Like I go, right, how can I do the bare minimum mobility so they can do what they need to do and just do their workout, right? Whereas other clients will just do whatever the fuck I give them. And they'll just, if I give them 30 minutes mobility, <laughs> they'll do it at the start of the session. You know what I mean? So what all, all this to say is, the biggest challenge that most people make when it comes to getting in shape physically um, and and just health and health and fitness goals is is changing too much at once, right, bro? And we always talk about this, don't we? That sustainability piece. It's like everything that you implement, whatever changes you make, whether it's your lifestyle, eating habits, even training, it's like the second, I need people to really, really like take note of this. The second you stop living like that, right? then you go back to where you started, right? So the second you stop doing those things and then you go back to what you were doing before, which is what happens to over 90% of people, you end up back at square one, right? So um, in terms of sustainability, bro, right, and getting people to make changes they can stick to, um, where is it, like, what are the common issues you see that people make when it comes to, like, that sustainability piece with health and fitness? Yeah, so you kind of touched on that there, and uh, I'll kind of—I guess I'll kind of go into that as well. But there's a list of things, right? But the majority of people, in my opinion, like, and the most obvious one you'll hear from most most coaches is accountability, right? So most people come to people like us because you know they need someone to guide them step by step down the road towards their goals because they know if they go down that road by themselves, they'll probably quit. That's the reality of it, right? And I also really commend people for reaching out to coaches when they need help, because it's not always an easy thing to do. Um, but a huge one for me that like kind of coincides a little bit with accountability is they're yet to establish their pain points. So the driving force of why they want to change and just saying they want to look better isn't good enough. Right. Okay. So what I mean by this is they haven't discovered that like deeper discomfort that eats at them every single day. Or they have, and it's just not strong enough, so they don't want it badly enough. Um, I know you would have, you would delve deep into the pain points with your clients, um, but for those who are listening who are unsure of what I mean, I'll give you an example. So, people often want to lose fat and build muscle, right? Basically, so they can look good with their clothes off. Arguably, one of the most widespread commonalities within the fitness industry. But why do they want to look good with their clothes off? Well, maybe because they think their partner doesn't look at them the same way that they used to. Maybe they don't feel comfortable having sex with the light on anymore. Maybe they feel guilty for not being able to play with their kids for long enough because they're out of breath. Like there's, there's a million reasons that these are like the deeper meaning, right? So um, these are the pain points, right, of an individual. So going back to the accountability point then, if I can help set my clients sort of goals and help them use those pain points as motivation, incentives, whatever it is, inspiration. So it's stuck in their head. And every time they don't feel like doing a workout or going for a walk in the rain to hit their set target, having that image of the thing that gives them so much grief come down like a projector in front of their brain will help them stay so much more accountable. And then you pair that with all the other aspects of accountability that you get from a coach, hopefully, around the clock support, like all the programming where your coach can see your workouts, whether you've completed them or not. Um, you know, the food you're eating and whether you're sticking to the calorie or macro targets, being able to see how many steps you've done throughout the day, any habits that have been set to you, uh, set for you, which could be as simple as like, you know, let's say drinking enough water each day, the list goes on and on. But pairing all of that together, especially with a coach who is like hugely passionate as well about what he or she does, um, is like an absolute formula for, for success. And that is why accountability from a coach is such a game changer for the majority of people. 100%, bro, 100%. And that's the thing is one of the, and what you said was spot on. I always talk about this is the, the real reason to change, right? Knowing why it's important to you. And exactly what you said then, and you, Clyde, I just took on recently, like I'm making notes of like the deepest, you know, it's painful. Like, you know what it's like, bro, when you have that initial call with a client, some of the questions we're asking them, they've never been asked before. They've never actually had that awareness to know why it's important to them to lose 20 pounds or whatever it is. And when they start actually articulating the fact that, as you say, my I've heard it all, bro. My relationship's on the line. You know, I feel like I'm letting my kids down. This I hear this a lot, bro. I hear, you know, I've got I've got one of my kids is is overweight, and 
I want to be a better role model. Like the way I'm living now, uh, he or she is following suit. So again, we can keep going down the list, but you've got to be aware of these things. And then what we do, and not in a way where it's like, you know, just put them into a pain pit, but we use this as a driving force for them then, right, bro, to encourage them when, like I said to my client yesterday, so I took on this new client and um, uh, this week, and basically she has always struggled with self-sabotage behaviors, right? And basically she'll get to like two to three weeks in to what she's doing. This is very common to be honest, but she'll get to two, three weeks in. I'm sure you can, some of you in the audience can relate to this. Maybe it might be a month or two months, but two to three weeks in and she'll kind of throw in the towel, self-sabotage will kick in those behaviors with eating chocolate or whatever else will kick in. And then she'll just get into her own head and then she'll just, the inner critical pop-up, she'll just beat herself up and be back to square one. Right. Um, so I said to her straight up yesterday after the call, I said, look, I said, it's coming, right? I just, and you just got to be honest, like, and it's actually a thing, bro. It's uh, the emotional cycle of change is actually a real thing. They've done research on it. And there's a thing called the valley of despair that people get to because ultimately changing fundamental behaviors is difficult. It doesn't matter who you are. That shit is hard. like me and Andrew have been through it. You know what I'm saying? Changing behaviors with food, changing our environment, even changing our relationship with training, all that kind of stuff. It's tough. And I said to her, look, you know, we do know three weeks in, you're still going to get those struggles. You've got a better approach now. You've got all the support you need. You've got the accountability to your point, the structure, the guidance. Um, but now she's aware of it and she's fully aware from the chat we had of how important it is to her. And, you know, I don't know what the saying is, but it's like when that pain becomes almost too much for people, right? That is what's going to really drive the change. So I think just people having that awareness of why it's important to them. And then, as you say, when you invest in yourself, and my my friend Ian said this on a previous podcast we had, is like, Money fucking talks. You know, we can deny it. We can deny it as much as we want, right? We both have both invest. We're both big on investing in ourselves, right? And money talks. When you when you when you commit, you know, depending on what you commit and everything else and the level of coach you've you've hired, you know, money talks. You you get after it when you invest in yourself. And ultimately just having some form of accountability. And it, even if it's not a coach, right? Even if it's like you have to have some form of mentorship, like some form of guidance. Um, and obviously you've got this podcast and stuff we're talking about now, which you can use as fuel. Um, but ultimately it comes down to, bro, I think what a big piece people miss out on, right, uh, Buck, is it's like information, right? We've got the, we're in the information era now. We've got more information is not the problem. In fact, I would argue that's actually part of the problem now, right? Especially in nutrition, so much conflicting information out there. People get confused, overwhelmed, and they end up just fucking spinning their wheels. Um, so it's, it's implementation, right, bro? I think that's where having that guidance comes in where people know what things to implement. Everything is simplified. And then all they've got to do is just make that one or two changes at the time, be consistent. And then it's that compound effect over time, right, bro? It's like that compound interest. 100%. And, uh, what you said there again was, was bang on. There's so much information out there that it's hard. Like, it, it, and I think back to like, if I was first starting out on like my fitness journey and I was in a place where I had all this information, I would just be so overwhelmed because one minute someone's telling you, you know, like this is the right food to eat. Next minute, this isn't the right food to eat. The next minute, you know, this is the right way to train. All of a sudden that way of training is wrong and you should be doing it another way. And there's just, there's so much information. It's hard to decipher. And I, I feel, I do feel for people because of that, that problem. So, that again is why, like, if you do invest into a coach, they can literally just give you a sat nav, right? So you wouldn't drive to a new place. You've heard, we've all heard this saying: you wouldn't drive to a new place where you've never been before without a sat nav because you get lost. But why would you do that with your health and fitness? So having that like sat nav to guide you down the road to get you from where you are now to your goals is essential because for the majority of people, it is so overwhelming. For the even I get overwhelmed with the amount of information. I'm so, obviously we still try and learn every day from different things and even i get overwhelmed a little bit because things i thought were true in the past all of a sudden they've been debunked or whatever it is and there's a new theory or a new study and um, that basically says that that way was wrong so yeah having that like accountability and that that guide from a coach and just like basically giving them the sat now to get them from a to b it's just essential because it gets rid of the, gets rid of the noise as well so hundred percent, hundred percent. And uh, yeah, man, you touched on something then as well, where the information is interesting because obviously I've done a lot of uh, features now with some awesome people in kind of like the carnival space and everything, everything like that. And uh, I had a few new people who followed me and they were reached out and, and I'm open, right? I'm not like strict. I mean, 
obviously I do like a few months a year where I'll eat like strict carnival and it works for me, you know, eating animal based works for me, primarily just eating mainly just meat, eggs and that kind of stuff, some organ meats and then some fruit here and there. Like now this week, for example, I'm eating quite strict carnival now, literally just primarily just meat, eggs, a bit of beef tallow and, you know, I feel good, but I do like some dark chocolate here and there, you know, I'll probably have dark chocolate two, three times a week or whatever. Um, I even had some, uh, have you ever had an acai bowl before, bro? Yeah. Yeah. Jesus Christ, man. Like, it's crazy. Because I was saying to my client, and like people, like, I don't know if anyone knows what an acai bowl is. Long story short, acai is like a native berry from like the Amazon or whatever. Essentially, it's just like fruit, uh, frozen, frozen berries. And then, but then the thing is, they give you granola and, and peanut butter with it, right? And I don't, I don't eat processed foods, right? But I'm like, I'm not going to have that. Well, I mean, I say processed, dark chocolate, you can say that's processed, but you know what I mean? Ultra processed, like garbage. And, uh, and like granola is just like like full of sugar, right? And and loads of other ingredients, right? And I was just like, I'm not going to have it without granola and peanut butter, bro. Like, fuck that. It's pointless. And if I'm going to do it, I'm doing it properly. So anyway, man, long story short, I put some, I, I put me in dark chocolate on my story the other day and I had a few people mesh me from other carnival space saying like, oh, you know, you're going to get kidney stones and, and oxalates are uh, something like, I, I can't remember what it was now, but it like, you know, like I'm going to die essentially is, is the message I was getting from eating some dark chocolate. And it's just all this to say, it's like, that's where we're at now in this day and age. And it? it's like where nutrition is literally uh, becoming a religion, right? It's like, uh, and people can listen to some podcasts and stuff like that. And they might try a certain diet. Let's just use carnival for an example. And they might go really extreme from one extreme to another. And then before you know it, then, you know, they're taking in all the information and then we just, we just build these beliefs. Right. And then it's like, Oh, you know, this is right. And then everything else is like, it's like studies show oxalate. Well, there's so much variance with nutrition. There's so much, it's like, you know, is someone metabolically healthy like myself, you know, in fantastic shape is eating some dark chocolate here and there really going to give me, I mean, hopefully it won't give me kidney stones now I'm talking about, you know what I'm saying, bro. But the reality is, you know, I got to get my blood work done as well to check on this, just to post it online. But it's like, it, it just, or, you know, it just, this kind of reminded me that there's so much information out there, bro. And there's like so many extremes in this space. And it's no wonder why people go into the extremes and they're not implementing things which are sustainable, right? Because I even say to people as well, actually, Dr. Kiltz asked me this. He said, you know, do you think the car, because he's big into carnival, right? And and right, like all the research that he's done on fertility and all that kind of stuff, there's loads of stuff coming out now. And and I will say, hand on heart, you know, animal-based foods, good quality proteins, it is the most important part of nutrition, right? But there's so much variance from person to person. It's so, they're still figuring it out. They still don't know. And the technology we're in nowadays and the, the day and age, they still don't know um, quite what's going on. It's it's that complex, right? But um, he was saying, do you think carnival is, is sustainable um, for the average person? I just said straight up, no. I don't think it is. I think for the average person, they need to focus more on, yes, eating, I would say, uh, focusing on protein and eating meats primarily and good quality sources of meats um, to make sure that they uh, are getting most of the nutrients they need, essential nutrients and everything else, fats and, and proteins, uh, but also blending their appetite and then, you know, everything else that comes with eating good quality proteins. But I really don't feel that, even for me, bro, like for, I had a month, I had last month where I ate like strict carnival, right? And then I brought some of those foods in. Like I say, it was dark chocolate. Then it was like the acai bowls. And to the audience, it doesn't sound like much, right? But for me to have like two acai bowls in a week where I, where I want the peanut butter and granola together, I don't care about the acai bowl. I'm going back to the old behaviors that I used to have when I used to smash tubs of peanut butter and granola and put and go through like 5,000 calories in a day. And it's like, it's not about the calories. It's not about me having two acai bowls and maybe dark chocolate, maybe like four times in a week. Most people go, oh my God, is that, that's, well, it's not about that. It's about what it does to you psychologically, right, bro? When you're having that combination of fats and sugars and it becomes a habit, right? Mm -hmm. And like for the majority of people, because there's so much information out there, the majority of people, so their diet's shit, let's be honest, mm. and they get all this information and they go from having a shocking diet and all these ultra-processed foods to then being like, right, I'm going to go carnival. And the reality is they don't need to do that. They just need to make basic you know, food changes and better choices, which would probably fix up a lot of like their diet and maybe some issues, skin issues they're having. Like they they, they go from zero to a hundred, right? Um, but it is because there's so much information out there. Like I have a client who asked me what I eat for breakfast um, because they were struggling with some food ideas. And I don't necessarily have a breakfast, but I told them my first meal of the day, every single day is beef, eggs and avocado. And they said, like, you know, that I think their response was like, well, I couldn't eat that. And I'm not saying they should eat that, right? Because if they don't, 
it goes kind of goes back to this thing of like adherence where like they need to still enjoy foods that they're going to eat because they'll never stick to it if they go from eating you know shite food with like ultra processed stuff super palatable food to chicken and broccoli they're never going to stick to it because it's shite like they don't enjoy that food there so there has to be an element of food where they enjoy um but having all this information on there where uh where like you know you shouldn't do this you shouldn't eat this this is going to cause you cancer like uh, you know We've heard it all before with the with the carnival diet, like red meat causes cancer, like you know, this whatever. There's so much misinformation out there for a start, and such a contradiction of information. Like the clients just get left so confused. But most of the time, if they just took it back down to the basics, aim for more whole foods and processed foods, you know, moderate the processed foods they do eat, maybe leave it to the weekend or a Saturday and cut down on the portion sizes, their health would be in such a better place than where it is without having to overcomplicate everything. A hundred percent, bro. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, man. And uh, that's it. Is it. You hit the nail on the head then, isn't there? Is when people ask you, and I'm like, that's why I don't do it. The whole, like, what I eat in a day. I think I did it once or twice, but I'm like, but why am I doing this? Because it's just people think they that's what they think they want, right? It's like even people listening now, I'm like, oh, I'd love to know what, what does he eat in a day? Why do you want to know? Because the reality, okay, I understand. Yeah, you want to know food quality. And I've talked about it many a times, right? It's like pretty straightforward. If you can eat like adequate protein, you can hit your protein target. Not not easy to do because most people are grossly under eating protein. If you can eat, you know, a high protein diet uh, and have enough where, you know, you're feeling satiated, you're getting good quality uh, nutrients and everything else, great. You know, um, if you can eat the most nutrient dense foods known to man, like just like Buck, uh, Andrew was saying then, you know, beef, eggs, avocado, those kind of foods, right? which ultimately beef and eggs are probably the most nutrient-dense foods known to man other than uh, beef liver. Um, but again, like most people, they're just not going to be able to, even like the average person, they're not going to, like 90% of people, they're not going to eat beef, eggs, and avocado. for the, They're not going to fast in the morning like you and I, right? Like I've been having one meal a day, right? Um, like five days a week now, and, and that's working for me. Like 99% of people are not going to be able to do that consistently. But I've gone through so much, like in terms of what I've learned about my body, and so have you, right? where I know what true hunger is. I've been starved from bodybuilding. That taught me what true hunger was. But just fasting, like we both, I don't even think we look at it as fasting, right, bro? We just, we, we need to do another podcast, by the way, mate, because we could talk forever. But even the the fasting, it's like, you don't eat breakfast. You just said it then, right? Oh, I don't even, you didn't say, I fast. You know what I'm saying? Like, a lot of people say, oh, you know, it's like a cool word, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Do you fast? Or what type of fasting? Uh, I just don't eat breakfast because I, like, for example, why don't you eat breakfast? Yeah, I just don't feel like I'm hungry in the morning. And whereas at a time where I would eat regardless, I'd wake up and I, I wasn't even hungry, but I would just eat because I knew I had to eat breakfast or I knew I had to eat breakfast, you know. Um, I would just eat. And then obviously down the down the line, I've learned to like understand my hunger signals a bit better. And it's just not, it's, I just don't have set meals of the day either. I just don't have like this breakfast, lunch, dinner. I eat kind of when I'm hungry. Um, all right, yeah, granted, I'm not perfect. And on the weekends, you know, we might go for a coffee and I'll get like, you know, could be like a almond croissant. They're like my kryptonite. I love an almond croissant. But um, I just don't have this like like set time of like, right, it's two o'clock in the afternoon. I need to eat lunch. I just, it just doesn't happen. So I don't eat breakfast because I'm not hungry in the morning. Simple as that. And then by the time I have my first meal, which is always, you know, like I said, steak, eggs, and avocado, super high in protein, super filling. Like by the time my next meal comes around, I'm actually hungry. But the gap in between that then is quite substantial because I'm hitting enough protein per meal. But um, yeah, just, you know, but we've both been through this. Like, you know, we used to eat six, seven meals a day, right? We used to eat chicken, broccoli, and rice three times a day. <laughs> like it tastes like shit, no spice, no sauce. I, I think a cold as well sometimes out of a Tupperware box, right? But yeah. you think back times and, and, you know, they're all lessons and you'd be the same. Like you, now you eat, you know, you can survive one meal a day. Everyone probably could, but you eat when you're hungry and you mm. know what's good for your body, what you need, and you're not just eating for the sake of it. hundred percent, man. And I, and I do know even, even that that's a good point. Cause even if I eat one meal a day for too long, I, I, I tend to not feel as good because I can't get enough calories into that one meal. So like I'll need to have two meals. And for me, I'm looking at like, you know, I'm always looking at like yourself, like high performance. It's like eating takes up time, right? So if I can have, I've, I've come to the realization I can get way more work done if I just have that one meal, right? So I'm more productive, you know what I'm saying? And I know that I'm, you know what it's like, cause you, you, you know, you kind of eat in a small window. You just feel sharper, don't you? You have some black coffee, have water, you're sharper. You just feel more alert and stuff like that, right? 
Um, so, and, and we haven't even talked about all this. Like, we're not here talking about the scientific benefits of fasting and fucking ice baths and all that bullshit because it sounds pretty. And everyone, and I loved Andrew Huberman. Everyone loves listening to him and stuff like that. And it's great. But like the average person doesn't need to fucking look into the sun for five minutes in the morning. They need to get to the fucking gym and train. You know what I'm saying? Like when you look at, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, bro? I was thinking that the other day. I was like, you know, it's the least of people's worries, isn't it? It's like most people listening, like they're not doing strength training consistently. They're barely moving much. Their sleep is terrible, which is the most. And then they're like, okay, I'm going to sit and I'm going to sit and get the sunlight into my eyes for five minutes. Uh, and then I'm going to go and have an ice bath. It's like, oh my God, like that is the bottom of the list. You know what I'm saying? That the sunlight is, we can't deny it's the most important thing for sleep, right? In the mornings, I don't want to deny that. Um, Circadian rhythm and everything else. Uh, but when you look at the big rocks, it's just not important. But I reckon we should do another podcast, man, and just like go straight into all the behaviors and nutrition stuff and talk more about our journey, man. But we're going to have to wrap it up here, mate. Tell us where uh, where the audience can find you, man, even though I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, uh, for sure. So Instagram, strength.through.movement1. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. That's my main platform, Strength Through Movement. Um, I've got Facebook as well, but uh, the Instagram is where it's at. So Awesome, bro. Nice and for coming on, mate. Thanks so much for having me. Good talking to you. Pleasure, bro.